Crime Conversations bring together the biggest names in true crime, recorded live at CrimeCon London 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk. Guys, welcome to the live launch of season four of What's Up Doc, the true crime documentary podcast. I am, of course, your host, Gemma Delaney, and I am here to tell you what is up with the latest, hottest, newest true crime documentaries. Today, I am just ecstatic to be joined by the myth, the man, the legend, the real Manhunter, Colin Sutton. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. We've also got the beautiful Joe Brunt. And we've got producer extraordinaire, Tony Karn. Guys, I am so grateful to have been given the opportunity to have early access to season two of The Real Man Hunter, which is going out live this Monday, 9 p.m. Um, tell me, guys, like, how... I'm going to actually throw this to you first of all, Tony. He's like, ah. <laughs> What what inspired you to do this season and these cases? Um, well, I think it's the same thing that inspired us to do the first series, that um, we felt as a company that true crime was being mainly led about what happened to the victim and concentrating too much on the perpetrator. And we wanted to, uh, to show the detectives behind these crimes and how they investigate and see it through their eyes. Um, and that's what's uh, been our driving motivation for all of them, and uh, this second series as much as the first. I'm going to, this, this is the beauty of being a podcaster, right? I get to pick and choose exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm gonna go with the episodes that really impacted me the most. Um, wow, I mean, the season starts with a bang. Episode one, Sally Lawrence. Colin, like, an incredible it's it's an unbelievable case right oh god yeah it, 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 it is i mean it, it's what we've had to do in this series you know even though i did it for an awfully long time i've kind of run out of cases that have interest and so we've started to look at other people's cases but still doing it in the same way where we're, we're talking to anybody anybody you see on there has actually got involvement in the case be they a police officer be they a witness be they family or whatever um and what that did for me was enabled me to look at cases like this where the investigation was just phenomenal and and where you know you 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 kind of take your hat off the whole thing the whole reason why i wanted to do this why i was so happy to do it was to showcase great police work i think it's important more, more important than ever these days that people understand that the police are there and they are doing a good job and they're on your side and they will respond to, well, to big things. if and, that was your objective, I mean, I don't think you could have picked a better starter yeah. to exemplify, like, yeah. oh my God, incredible police work. Now, obviously, guys, because this hasn't gone live yet, it's totally different from my normal format. I can't do any spoilers. So we're going to say as much as we can say without giving the whole game away. So what can you tell us about that case, Colin? Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a case where where somebody, where a husband thought he could get away literally with murdering his wife. He came up with a very novel means of doing it. I can't wait Thought to he this. was very clever, but thankfully he wasn't as clever as the police officers. And 
but it, it's really one of those where different uh, different divisions, different parts of the police force came together, different parts of the scientific community, and the whole thing put together was conclusive and conclusively proved that this was indeed a murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's just it's another one of those. There, there were a number through this series where you think if you'd written these as a fiction, then you know. TV people, commissioners, uh, book publishers, whatever, would would throw it back and say, "No, that's ridiculous. That would never happen." Because, because it's true, yeah. it did happen, and so we were able to bring these just amazing, almost far-fetched stories that are, that are absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know you weren't actively involved in the case itself, Joe, but like that, I'm. What were your thoughts on the Sally Lawrence case? What did you think about it? I mean, like. It, it's such an unbelievable story. Like Colin said, just amazing police work. It's and that's what it's all about, isn't it? And that's, that should be highlighted. Yes. Because in this day and age, the police get a bash in every two minutes. They do. And this is the other side of it. They're doing their best and look look at the results they get. 100%. It's so, so true. Colin, I, like I said, this was my favourite episode, I think. And I'm loath to say that because they were all excellent, but you really started with a bang. Was that a conscious decision on the part of the production? Uh, I, th- I think it was a conscious decision on behalf of Sky. So um, <laughs> yeah. we don't have a running order when we make the programmes, per se, and so uh, um, and it's for Sky to decide that. I think what re- I really like about this episode is that uh, we believe in authenticity. So everybody who's in the programme is involved, and no more so than this case where we interview someone who... who came across the uh, the murder scene and um, who is a member of the public and um, they still you can see when you're filming that they're still living that moment even now and I it, um, it comes across it's really quite stark and uh, uh, you can see how murder just doesn't obviously affect the victim but how wide that that spreads into families and to people that are involved and how a heinous crime that it really is you know. But that, that's, 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 I think, one of the advantages of, of, of our kind of values, if you like, is that, is that we're, we're saying we're not concentrating on the things that all the other shows concentrate on, mm-hmm. namely, normally, the perpetrator. You know, how many times have you ever seen in any other documentary the member of the public who was the first one across a murder scene coming and talking and telling us about it? And that's a degree of authenticity and realism that... I think is you know is unrivaled, and that's what that's what makes the show. We do that. That's amazing research. It's an amazing research. Yeah, it yeah. is, and it's it's tough, you know, and, and and you know people who 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 don't get on screen and people who don't actually you know get the applause they deserve do that for us and mm-hmm. find these find these people and and keep on doing it. And we've got you know we're a small we're a small bunch, but we're very very talented. I think in in, in doing that. Was there anything about the Sally Lawrence case that, I mean, are you ever shocked when it comes? Have you seen it all? Have you done it all? Been there, done that, bought the T-shirt? Are there still things that surprise you when it comes to investigations in law enforcement? Yeah, I mean, every case is different, isn't it? And every case, there will be an element of surprise. Um, Just when you think you've seen everything, something else comes along. That's, that, that's essentially what it was like. You know, you could never say you've seen everything. Which is why it's an amazing job. Yeah, best job in the world. Always, you know, always say that. Always has been. I love that. And I mean, I think that's evident as well to you guys. It's, it's evident that there's a real gras, we'd say in Ireland, for the job. Real love <laughs> for the job. Um, 
again, I can't give too much away, but what I loved about this episode was the manner in which he was caught. Like, it's mind blown because, I mean, maybe this is something you're aware of, but I think the, the everyday layman would not know that that even exists, that that's even a way that somebody could get caught. Yeah, it, it's, it's... Everyone was like, what happened? The thing, yeah, tell I'm, us. I'm not going to tell you what happened. <laughs> you have to watch it. But, but it, it's, I mean, what you, need, what you need to do is to people like Joe and myself, you're set with a situation and you just always got to believe that there's a way of proving what you think happened, happened. And, you know, that can be something that's just completely off of left field or, you know, is really thinking outside the box, however, whatever cliche you want to put. Um, and then you start talking to people, you start talking to scientists, you start talking to experts in that field and say, is it possible to prove X or Y or Z? Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, very often actually, more often than, than, than you'd imagine, they can come up with something. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's, you know, the whole thing about kind of, as we did, leading these sorts of investigations is to try to do your best to gather resources and people who can help you achieve what you want to achieve mm -hmm. and it's not always police officers it's, it's quite often people from outside yeah it's true it's true mm. um moving on slightly and guys we can't cover every case covered in this i wish we could but we've only got 45 minutes um i thought episode three mm -hmm. uh, the disappearance of Cyan or Shan, I know she's referred Cyan, to as both. Yeah, uh, I think she was called professionally Shan and then Cyan yeah. by her family. Um, it's a fascinating case again. Uh, you'll notice as well I'm going for all, all women victims, yeah, yeah. but I mean, there are majority female victims, and I said there's quite a lot actually in, in this season as well. Um, I think. Yeah. Oh no, there's, no, no, there's a couple of men. Yeah, there is. There yeah. is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. They, <sighs> I think it's a very difficult case for the team because there was a, a degree of you know, notoriety with it or, 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 or public interest in it because she was a, a well-known actress. So for those of you who may not be familiar with the case or who may not remember the case, uh, Cyan was uh, an actress yeah, in, in EastEnders. Uh, she did a season in EastEnders and was quite well-known uh, in the theatre circuit as well uh, when her and her two young children disappeared. Yeah. And and then you've also got the difficulty, and we try and deal with it, you know, kind of re realistically, but the, the, the fact of it is, it's one of these cases that are the hardest for police leaders and supervisors to manage, and that's where there's a missing person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are so many, I think it's something ridiculous, like 30,000 missing person reports in London every year. And if even if you take out all the people, you know, there's a lot of, children that go missing from children's home and just because they've not come home and mm -hmm. you have to report those as well and but even if you look at the, the the kind of serious or the more serious cases you cannot respond to every single one as if it might be a murder and so there have to be judgments made and and sometimes you're going to get those judgments wrong because you you, you know you you'll be inactive or not do anything and hope that they turn up and in most cases they do and there are processes within the police to to try to make the the judgment a little you know have some sort of merit and some sort of backing to it with with a sort of a process but ultimately it's going to go wrong sometimes and this is kind of one of those cases where the actual investigation proper with the murder team didn't start for a period of days quite a few days weeks uh, 
and was also not helped by the fact that those days were over the Christmas holiday and so you've got sort of a skeleton staff and if you're going to press the button and get everybody in then you know you're getting double pay overtime for them and there's going to be a big bill that someone's got to pay and if you then find that it was all nothing to worry about then you've got egg on your face so there's you know it's not a straightforward decision and, and you kind of think that it ought to be a, a straightforward decision because to someone's potentially someone's life at risk and the sad fact of it is is that in most of these cases and this is one of them it wouldn't have made any difference in terms of safeguarding Cyan or her boys it would have just meant they would have come to light more quickly because they were they were murdered right at the start uh, so it's yeah we, we kind of explore that but we, we try and explore that from again from a position of not wanting to to put the boot in on the police again but to try and explain what I've just said how difficult these decisions are and the problem with it is is of course as you know, Joe, Joe I'm sure back me up if you lose the first 24 48 hours of a murder investigation you can lose all chance of solving it yeah without a doubt I mean the, the amount of missing people reports as Colin said is phenomenal and you have to make a choice you 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 get 10 a day at, per police station you have to you cannot put all your resources into all of them you have to choose which ones um, and sometimes none of them sometimes all of them but when it's all of them good luck because you're chasing your tails from a production point of view Tony I wondered if you could talk us through the process I mean it must be incredibly difficult uh, reaching out to these families and approaching them essentially you're asking them to relive the darkest moments of their lives yeah it's something we do we try and do with great care and empathy um, and but it's important that um, they get to tell their story um, for some of them it's a, a cathartic experience and that they come forward willingly um, some don't want to but uh, again we try and get round that by presenting it from the detective's point of view so that we don't put them through too much. They don't really need to relive the details of the crime over and over again, which I think to a certain extent TV is doing and it's not something we're totally comfortable with. So. I mean, what would you say is the split in terms of, you're just saying that like, you know, some of, of the family members uh, of victims and survivors, you know, they'll, they'll come forward willingly and they, you know, have that kind of, you know, cathartic effect. Um, what percentage would you say, you know, are, do you find them very willing to talk? Is it a thing of, you know, keeping the loved one's memory alive and, and keeping their story alive? And I suppose, you know, like you said, highlighting the, the good work that has been done. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to say in a percentage terms. I mean, some of them use it to go on and do positive things like form groups to help other victims or get law changed. Um, some never recover from it and it, you kind of, from the first time you make contact, you find out very quickly which group they fall into. Um, and you have to back off very quickly. Um, and But we inform everybody where they put as much as we can that it's gonna be out there. So if possible, if they don't wanna be involved, they can avoid it. They can avoid watching it and they can avoid, their family members don't have to relive the experience if they don't want to. So it, it's, it's, there's no kind of right or wrong with it and there's no set rules. You just have to play it by ear. Often we can use the police officers themselves because they have relationship with the families and that's often the best way to do it um, because they can speak to them and um, rather than a stranger, one of us ringing them up um, out of the blue. And 
you have to be honest, people are suspicious of television companies. I mean, mm. and with I, good reason. I mean, in the past, historically, the you know probably would have had bad experiences with them. But I think like there's a real concerted effort, you know, and even on the the part of podcasting to be victim led, to be for the victim, you know, uh, proactively working with them, hopefully as a vessel to to help them. Like you said, maybe reach a, another audience or whatever. Mm. Um, but I think maybe slowly but the tide is turning that they're, they're realising that you know there is a new generation I think of people within the media and podcasters and presenters who um, you know we, we have a good moral compass and we just yeah. want to help I, I think that's true and um, you know and hopefully we're helping and not hindering we, we, we spent so long Joe and I and, and, and the rest of the team in trying to achieve what we could in terms of justice for these victim families I've said this before that you know I'm not going to start upsetting them now and it hasn't happened yet but ultimately if we got in touch with the family and said no no way we don't want you to do it you're not doing it you're not going to do it we're going to stop you we don't want to take part then I wouldn't want to do it simple as that because you know it, it's well, what's you the have point? to respect that exactly. yeah you have what's to respect that uh, uh, and you know there are there are features of cases that we do because Joe and I uh, know and have an ongoing relationship with with victims' families that we don't go there because we know they don't want it. Mm. So it's just you know any ever anybody and prior to sort of working with with Revelation when I was doing other things, um, anybody who wants to go down that road, I just said no, we're not doing mm. that because I know that that's going to upset that family and I'm not going to do it. Oh, Colin, you've set that up beautifully. That was a lovely segue to what I'm going to say next. Um, the, the next case that I want to talk about, which will come as no surprise, uh, she was a, an Irish victim and it was a, an Irish crime. It was the disappearance of Catherine Corridan. That's just what you were talking about, you know, maintaining that relationship with the yeah. families and the respect. And I mean, that just shines through in that episode for me personally, I, I thought. Um, tell us again as much as you can about that case. I'm going to let Joe tell you more yeah. about it because she knows more about the actual case than I do. But just briefly, um, if you remember from series one, if you've watched series one, and we've got the Dave and Mark Leach, who were brothers, who were members of my team, they were on the team when I took it over in January 2003, and they kind of sidled up to me and said, look, we've got this old cold case going that we've been doing some work on with one or two others, and it's not, it's not quite off the books, but it wasn't really a sort of an active investigation for the team, but we'd quite like to carry on with it. Uh, and, you know, that, what that might need is for, for you, Colin, to be a little bit of a buffer between us and the people above you to make sure that we can carry on doing it and uh, they sort of showed me what it was about and I thought yeah you know they've, they've obviously got their teeth into it and there's some there's some hope of success uh, and and they did fantastic work and brought it to a conclusion but th that conclusion was pretty incredible as well really wasn't it? Well it was just a, it was a young Irish girl came over here to work um, didn't really have close family ties in the country. Got in with the, the wrong boyfriend, as is, common. this is very common, and disappeared. But no one really reported her missing because they didn't know in Ireland how missing she was. They just thought she just wasn't phoning them back, and it took a little while. Um, and eventually, she was she'd been buried on a golf course, and took several several years to find her. Yeah, and seven years, I yeah. Think just because she was living and not itinerant, she had a house, but she didn't have the family who would say she didn't come home last night, that is really rare. And people didn't flag it up in time. Not that we could have stopped it, it happened one night and 
buried and he carried on his life as normal. But, but again, you've got the situation where, where you know, th there was a sort of missing persons investigation back in whenever it was, 1999, was it, or something, when she went missing? Before that? Before. 93, 93. Um, but there were no red flags, if you like, in the process to say, you know, this is dangerous. And as Joe said, because there's no immediate family and because there's no real sort of issue. It's a period of time before mobile phone, like we're all so yeah. contactable yeah. now. I mean, yeah. it's a different world. It's hard to cast yeah. your mind back to it, but it's a different world. And that was commonplace back then. You know, we wouldn't hear from family members for maybe a fortnight or three weeks. No, or and people, and if they were phoning Ireland, it's so expensive and half of them didn't have phones in their houses. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, it, it was, but it's again, it's um, it's an incredible story, and 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 the fact of you know, the 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 tenacity put forward by just a few members of the team, and the rest of us kind of supporting them when they needed to to be supported, and they they got a phenomenal result because not only did the the murderer admit to having killed her. But he also told us where where the body was buried, and even that itself has a sort of a sting in the tail, and and uh, wasn't without difficulties and some incredible evidence that was found, you know, even after eleven years that uh, the bodies can still tell tales. So it's a great episode. It it's actually one of the episodes we we think we could have done it. We could have done it twice as long as it is because there's so much to it. It's and, funny and you say. I I thought there was a docu series in that. Yeah, really and did. and when the um, not yeah. just saying that because it was the only Irish one. We've, we've like, had, <laughs> genuinely. Yeah. We, we've had to put sort of quite a lot of captions and things in and graphics to, so that the audience can understand who we're talking about and who's who because it's, it's kind of a quite a complex story and you need that to follow the story. But it's it's a cracker. It really is a really interesting story. And again, you know, I, I just marvel at what, what those people on my team could achieve sometimes, you know. I mean, like you said, there was 11 years there of a span between, you know, the crime itself mm. taking place and I suppose the eventual conclusion, which again, we can't, we can't spoil. Um, was there any obstacles that you, well, obviously there were obstacles, but I mean, what kind of obstacles did you come up against then in, you know, reinvesting that, reinvestigating that case? Like, was there any obstructions or, you know, people going, look, why, you know, with no new information here, what was... When you decided to, to reinvestigate it, what was Well, there? 11 years on, you've got all the witnesses have all moved away and mm. tracking them down, and we've got family in different countries over the world that you have yeah, to liaise with. Um, so there was a lot of logistics to it. Um, and obviously, 11 years on, where's your forensics? You're not going to have mm, them. Yeah. All gone. Um, the crime scene has gone. So it it was very much dependent on talking to people. That's that's where you got your evidence from, talking to people and talking to the right people. Although there was one kind of, I won't spoil it, but one sort of exhibit that was found that did yield a complete new line of inquiry. And again, it was sort of a, you know, you're, you're like to see it. it's an unusual piece of work, but it was one that really took us forward. I promised. I promised that I would throw questions out to the crowd. So I'm gonna start with that now. So guys, anybody got any questions for Tony on the production end of things? Uh, Joe and Colin on the investigative side of things. Go for it. Um, you were just saying about
That's a great question. That's a great question. That's Jeez. a really good question. You're looking for a job. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think from my point of view, and Tony, Tony may have a slightly different view on it, I don't know, and it'd be, I'll be interested to hear. From my point of view, I just try to be that elephant that remembers everything if I can, and then if I can't, to talk to people who remind me. And I, you know, the actual nuts and bolts, I suppose, of how we make an episode is that I will write a, a long summary of it, shall we say, um, in most cases, where sometimes somebody else does that. Uh, and, and then from that, the kind of more technical people at Revelation then decide which bits of it are going to be relevant and which are going to make the story flow and in what order they're done. So they do the creative bit, if you like, I suppose, to, you know, to, to make it into a television programme that people will watch and will grip and will have a, an arc or you know, a, a sort of story being told. In most cases, we've got quite, you know, we, we're leaving stuff out rather than scratching around stuff to put in. That, that's, that's the truth. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's roughly about the process, isn't it? Yeah, you, you have to have a story arc and, and you have to have jeopardy within that story arc to keep people um, focused on it. Um, and as Colin said, it's, it's really, it's leaving stuff out more than it's, it, you know, most of the time because you have to kind of stay focused with the main story. It's the, and the Corrigan one was very difficult because it a huge story. It's a and huge we, span of time. And we could have easily done a double episode and uh, we tried very hard to do a double episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, we did. We cut it at 90 minutes and Sky only wanted it for 45. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. But, so yeah, it could have been longer. But um, what we've done is just speed it up so you'll have to watch very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it, it is a, a particularly complicated story with many facets and spreading across both here in Ireland and, you know, different storylines within the main storyline. So it was a difficult one to put together. and. Uh, and I think it's ended up really well at the end of the oh, day. Geez, geez. There's a reason it got to my list of favourite episodes, yeah. guys. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not blowing smoke up your arse like there's a reason I said it. It's, yeah, it's excellent. Um, I'm actually going to take it back from the floor for a minute because we did kind of have that segue and I said about, you know, that relationship that you maintain with families. And I mean, there, there was an element of that at the end of that episode. I don't know, is that too much spoiler? Can we get away with that? We're like, yeah, she's rolling her eyes. We're going, Gemma, Jesus, I don't know. Tell us about that. Tell us about, you know, the the ending of that episode without giving too much away, I suppose. It's the relationship with the family. Don't speak they, they, yeah, I mean, our colleagues went went to the funeral in Ireland, basically, several, however many years after she disappeared. And, yeah, Dave was very... Yeah, it's very moving. It, got it, very, you get involved with the families, not all, but most, um, and you build such close bonds with them. And attending a funeral of someone that you don't know, but you know everything about that person, is it's very, very poignant. So it's interesting from the CSIO point of view, you will always have a family liaison officer, and Jo was amongst all her other talents. She was a trained family liaison officer as well, weren't you, at mm. some point, um, and, and did it. And the reason you always have them in there as a buffer, I suppose, is not that I don't like talking to the family. I've, I've spoken to more recently bereaved people than is healthy for one individual probably, but I might be in the position of having to make really hard choices about their investigation. And if I get that close to the people at the time, then I can't be certain I'm gonna make that difficult call in the right way. So you have that buffer. 
when it's over, when we've been to court, you know, the hugs, the tears uh, with the families, and then the relationship, you know, from series one, Chris, Chris Donovan's parents, I'm in contact with them on a weekly basis. Joe, particularly, but myself to a degree, Marshall McDonald's family, we, we, you know, we're great, we're great friends with them. Um, so you do maintain that, and as Joe says, you do get this kind of emotional attachment and personal involvement. But I always had to try and keep one step back of that, just in case I was going to have to push the button and say we're not doing that, you know. And you're meant to pull away. At the end of an inquiry, you are, as a family liaison officer, meant to, yeah. but you can't. You can't. We're human, so we care. That's why we do it, because we care. So, you know, it's hard not to care. I think that's something we're proud of as a company in, in the productions, that mm. we get to show police officers as human beings. And, you know, it's easy... You know, and press is out there to uh, bring people to, you know, the justice and to make sure that people are responsible for their decision makings and they're particularly hard on the police at the moment and sometimes rightly so but I think what we show is that they are human beings they are doing an incredibly difficult job and it, might, it does affect them you know and um, there's a lot of officers out there with PTSD who, who you know suffer after being involved with these crimes you know time after time I mean we need to remember that that it's you know they're doing a very very difficult job Go on, more questions. Who's got a question? Uh, so with the privacy laws here in the UK and in Ireland, have you run into any situations where you may have wanted to talk about a case or cover a case that you were just not able to? Hmm. Uh, no, not yet. We do have issues. We yeah, have we compliance do. issues. Um, and we do have legal issues, and we tread carefully around them. Um, Sometimes we ignore them and do it anyway. Um, <laughs> but that's the judgment call for myself and Trevor. Um, but we have to take legal advice, and sometimes we ignore it. I mean, because we believe it's right to do it. So, but there is a risk involved with that. And no. usually, if they're the, the crimes that we're talking about, they've all been to. Court. Oh yeah, from that point of view. Yeah. So they're in the public domain anyway. So there's a bit of background. The first case, the first one, in the first series with Maureen Howe that was a particularly difficult legal issue because um, no one has been found guilty of her murder. But um, <clears throat> all the evidence pointed towards her husband and he was tried and he was found innocent. So from that point of view, he was found innocent. But I don't know if anyone's seen that series, <laughs> seen that episode, does anyone have an opinion on that? I mean, so, you know. <laughs> but he was found innocent. So, but that was a particularly difficult one because we had to try and show what the case was and what the case of the prosecution was. At the same time, we had to keep reminding people that he was found innocent. Just like, I'm not saying who the killer was, but it rhymes with schmer, schmuzmund. Wink, wink. Put my legal hat he was found not guilty. It's different. That's not necessarily innocent. But yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a shock. Uh, it was a great shock to me. Um, I was, I was actually due about three weeks off work, so I'd had an operation on my leg, and I came back to work early because the trial was going on. I wish I hadn't bothered. You know? but that must be incredibly frustrating. Is that frustration we only actually had once. We only actually, it's the only case we ever took to court and lost on that murder team. So it was, it was kind of... Top of the top. Top of the top, Colin. Yeah, it's, like, it's like, you know... Oh, they're just so talented. But. It's like we were almost the Invincibles, but not quite. But, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a shock to me because... Mm. I thought the 
combined strength of the evidence and things that we put before the court were quite persuasive, very persuasive. Uh, jury didn't agree. That's juries. That's how they work. We did what we could. Next question. Go for it. Um, you said that a while ago about resources looking into uh, missing person cases and you wouldn't obviously be able to look into all of them. What makes you choose who you would look into? Like, would that be obviously going by leads or There's like a, basically a matrix uh, as to how they've disappeared, whether they've taken money, whether they've taken their phone, whether just you get high high risk, low risk and medium risk and obviously the high risk are the ones that you look into immediately. Okay. There's, there's a booklet that is gone through with a checklist of questions so that it standardises the assessment across the force. That's and mad, isn't it? And then a supervising officer will then have to look at that and, and agree the final judgement as to high, low or medium risk. Mm. And it's factors like have they been missing before, how old are they, age, have they taken age money? Age would be a big one. Um, you know, what's their state of mind? Is there any evidence of recent depression? Or, you know, all the, all the things you can think of there and probably a lot of things you can't think of because you won't do, you know, what's that? And that's, well, I'd say relatively recent, it's probably been about 20 years since that was introduced. Um, and it does standardise the process, but, you know, unfortunately too much of what goes on, I think, in policing and, and indeed other public services now is, is, is more about protecting the backsides of the individuals rather than the actual process and the public. So while that process is quite good uh, in terms of aiding the decision-making, it's also very good at being able to show, well, look, we did it properly. Mm. And sometimes making sure you can show you did it properly is not the same as doing it properly, if you get my drift. I'm going to further that question, actually, because that's, that's a good one. Um, have you ever ran into an instance where you have done the assessment, they're maybe not ticking all the boxes, but you're going, I'm, I'm telling you, there's so no, there's something about this. We need to pursue this. Uh, yeah. I have. And have um, you got your way? And yeah, to, to, to be honest, as, as a, the way the system worked, being a senior investigating officer in the, on the murder squad, or homicide teams, you could get your way quite easily because most of the time, the homicide teams were trying to say, no, not us, keep it at the division. So if you actually really wanted to investigate something, what you, do with that? Yeah, you, you crack on them, mate, you know, that's fine. So, so that's kind of how it, how it worked. And we've done, you know, somebody once, Somebody once said about me that you know, when we were on call, I'd turn out to an ABH, and they might have been right, actually, but I think we gave a better service to the divisions and therefore to the public than most of the teams who would rather sit behind their computers and send, <coughs> send one officer out at the time. You know, I'd, I'd turn out, I'll be quite frank, I used to enjoy being busy and enjoy going out to when we were on call. Um, and if you look at things like... Uh, if you're familiar with the case of Stephen Port and the, the, the case in, um, in, in Barking, if somebody had taken that attitude there, then I think things might have been very, very different. So I'm not going to knock it and the way we worked. I'm, I'm proud of the way we worked. Just know. assuming now that the listener hasn't got a clue what you're talking about, give us a bit of backstory. Well, I mean, basically yeah. what that was, was it was, was a case in, in East London where four gay men who'd been um, uh, met as a result of, of hookups on... Mm -hmm. uh, Grinder um, were murdered by the same man. Two of them were left in exactly the same position in a churchyard. One was left in an adjacent position, uh, the other side of a wall in the churchyard. Uh, and for some reason, the, the dots weren't joined up. And it wasn't until the fourth one that somebody realised that 
actually maybe something's going on here. And they'd been drugged, so they, but it wasn't yeah. picked up. Yeah. It was they. They said they've drugged themselves. They, they, it's just a mistake and, a, and it's an overdose, rather than they were all in the same place. And and I, I, I felt quite strongly about it because I thought our role as being the the specialists, if you like, in homicide investigation, we have to take that responsibility very seriously and go out there and show that we're the specialists. And from what I could see in that, there was a a lack of that specialism and that kind of professional curiosity and interest. And I can't believe that nobody in the police station sort of said to one of the mates, oh, another one? Didn't we have one like that? You know, because that's kind of how it works. And, and the fact that nobody did, I, I find staggering. But also, the murder teams were informed about every one of those bodies when it was found, and it wasn't until the fourth one that they <coughs> took it over. Have we got more questions, guys? Go first. Have you ever worked together on a case where one needs taking in one direction, one needs taking you in another, and you've disagreed over which way to go? Normally about which pub to go to. Not really disagree, but we would bicker, wouldn't we? Yeah, I, it's, the, the the reason, you know, until I went to the team, I didn't know Jo, and she came, I said this earlier on, she came onto the Belford team by accident and stayed for four and a half years and got involved in lots of other cases with it. And the reason that we worked well together was because we're so different and because the things, you know, I'd, I'd come up with madcap ideas and Jo would sort of shoot me back down and tell me why I couldn't do that. And then Jo would remember things, and Jo was very, very good at, understanding about the team and about who needed what and what the mood was and telling me no you can't do that because they'll go nutty and they'll, they'll rebel or something like that she was she was my sounding board like that uh, uh, and uh, it was just one of those happy coincidences you know it's I think I don't know about Joe Six the same I hope she does but I think if we'd not met up and worked together then our careers would have been the poorer for it both of us so Oh, that's lovely, actually. That's so, that's so sweet. Um, well played, also, yeah. So the, the, the right approach definitely hung out. Yeah. Uh, anybody else got any questions? Don't be shy. I know people have questions, because there are people going, can I ask a question? So I'm not going to call you out, but if you want to, now's the time. Good. Um, well, I would like to just, oh, go ahead, sorry. You need to roar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you decide on the like cases that you looked at with the, you know, is there anything? On the television, yeah. on the programme. They had to have a significant investigative interest, really, because that's the whole baseline of the programme, say we're looking at this point of view. So, you know, we... And I don't want to sound too callous about this, but our workload as a murder squad in London in those days was quite busy. But a lot of the stuff we were doing didn't need a huge amount of investigation because you'd, you, know, you'd we had a lot of cases, for example, where um, alcoholic, maybe sort of semi-vagrant people would punch each other, fall over and bang their head and it would kill them. Well, And you've got a witness, two witnesses yeah. saying it was him, so it wasn't yeah, that difficult. Best will in the world, you know, it's a human life and we'd take it just as seriously in terms of the investigation and convict the person that did it, but you don't want to see about it at nine o'clock on Sky Crime. Really, you know, that, that's... Well, that because there colours. is, I suppose, it is an open and shut case. Yeah, yeah exactly. By definition, yeah, there, there yeah. is no mystery, there is no... It, it's not that we're callous, but no. I suppose it's... It would be very short show, it's wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. And, 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 and so, 
you know, that's why we've gone on to doing cases in which I wasn't directly involved in this series because we'd sort of really only had six more cases after the first series where we thought that the interest and the, 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 the presentation of the investigation was strong enough to be of the same sort of standard of the programmes and the shows that we put out in the first series. And what I didn't want to do was, for the sake of it, to say, oh yeah, we'll, we'll big up that case, um, because you'd notice, and you'd see there's a drop of inequality. And we don't want that, and Sky don't want that, and nobody wants that, you know, you want to, and I want you to, to watch it and enjoy it in the same way as, as, as I hope you did the first one. And certainly, you know, in terms of the numbers that we got from Sky for the first one were very, very good, and, and it seemed that you, you collectively liked it. So I'm hoping you're going to like the next one as well. Uh, and I think, I think there are some great stories in there. And there's, you know, there's, there's one that Gemma's not even mentioned that's my favourite, which is just unbelievable, just in, absolutely unbelievable. And if I told you now about it, you'd think I was, you know, I'd, what I've been drinking at lunchtime or something. Mm. And it's just that, and, and, and yet it was true and it meant that we had to investigate something. It's actually quite hard to investigate something. What do you think? Well, that couldn't possibly have happened. Which one was it? The robbery. It very, very narrowly made the list. I had yeah, 45 minutes to play with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the Irish one trumped it. I'm not going to Yeah, lie yeah. <laughs> I wonder why that was, Gemma. Uh, any, any reason paid. for that at all? It is what it is. Yeah. And I have one question for you. Okay. And we're going to have to wrap it up then. But I have one question for you. Yeah. Uh, having approached this series slightly differently, obviously, and having included cases that you weren't actively part of, um, how did you find that? How, I mean, was, was there anything in those cases where you were kind of like, I would have solved that. I wouldn't have done it that way. No, because all the ones we've done, all the ones we've looked at are cases which were solved and which there were things that I would actually think I'd love to have done that. You know, the, it was it was inspiring to me to see what some of my colleagues uh, elsewhere in the country could do. Uh, my my great my fear at the, at the start was that we'd lose a degree of authentic, authenticity because it wasn't cases you know a case that I'd been involved in. But I think what we've done is is there's we have firmly planted our flag and said this is how we do true crime documentaries, and actually. We've done so well with that with my cases now we can go on and do other cases like that because we're doing it in a way with a, an approach which is different which people enjoy and which shows just how good the police can be i'm going to wrap up by saying something because i always say in any industry you know i think we criticize very quickly and we don't give praise very easily. And I think I speak for myself and you know everybody here who has seen season one, I've also seen season two, but it shows how much you care. And it's a testament to you. And I mean, it's lovely to see. It's lovely to see. And it's the reason you have been so successful. I hope you go home at night and I hope you're proud of the impact you've made. I hope you take the time to give yourself a pat on the back um, because like I said, the criticism, it's, it's all too often, the praise isn't there. You're a credit, a credit to the industry. Um, and I'm just absolutely honored to be able to interview you and love you guys. Love it. Thank Give you. me a round of applause. <laughs> guys.
That is it. That is episode one of season four. Oh my God, I can't believe this. So let me make podcasts of What's Up Doc, the true crime documentary podcast. If you like the cut of me jib, if you like what I do, remember to give us a follow on social media. We are at What's Up Doc podcast. Uh, and if you want to subscribe, we're on Apple as well. And she can give us a cheeky review as well. As I always wrap up every show, good luck, good night, and God bless. You've been listening to Crime Conversations, recorded live at CrimeCon London 2022, partnered by CBS Reality. For more information on future CrimeCon events, visit crimecon.co.uk.